You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Election 2024, the Post Political Roundtable. I'm Sean Sullivan, the campaign editor here at the Washington Post. And today we are kicking off an exciting new program where you're going to hear from some of the top campaign reporters in our newsroom about the 2024 race and about what they are hearing out on the campaign trail across the country. We begin today with Maeve Reston, who is in California, where the Republicans will be debating for the second time on Wednesday. Maeve, welcome to Election 2024. Thank you for being our inaugural guest on this program. <laughs> so much fun to join you. And I love it when all of the candidates actually make it out to California, which they usually just use as an ATM. But we should have some pretty exciting action here this week, Sean. Should be a really interesting one. Uh, so, so let's dive right in, Maeve. This is the second debate. They've already debated once. Lay it out for us. Who are we going to see and hear from on Wednesday night? What's at stake? And, and what are the things you're going to be watching for when you look at this debate? Well, the stage is not quite final yet because uh, the candidates have until tonight to meet the criteria. Uh, so we don't know if some of the uh, lower tier candidates like Asa Hutchinson uh, will make it on the stage. But of course, the, the most notable absence will be uh, Donald Trump, once again, who has been foregoing the debates and really depriving all of his rivals of the chance to take him on directly to show how tough they would be against him um, and also show what their plan would be to uh, defeat him. He is still at you know an average of about 40 points above um, his closest opponents in this race. Nobody has been able to come anywhere close to him. And we see the person who is supposed to be his biggest uh, threat Florida Governor Ron DeSantis really kind of uh, sinking in the polls and going in the wrong direction. So this is a chance for all of these candidates to have another big breakout moment here um, in Simi Valley. And the one who everyone is really watching right now, besides DeSantis, is uh, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who had a really, really strong night uh, in the first debate and surprised a lot of people, got a lot of buzz and attention, um, and is looking to uh, you know, make that into a, a forward trajectory. She's inched up a little bit in some of the polls, um, but she really needs another big night uh, as she tries to make her case that she is the Trump alternative rather than Ron DeSantis, Sean. Yeah, maybe you mentioned Trump, who, of course, is not going to be at the debate. Um, what is he going to be doing? Where is he going to be? And, and what does that look like? How unusual is that when you have somebody who is the dominant polling leader in the race, they don't even show up? What does that look like for the candidates who are going to be debating on Wednesday night? Well, I think that, you know, it's made it very difficult. They were all hoping uh, the ones who actually want to take him on directly, which is only some of them, um, they had actually been hoping to kind of score political points off of the contrast of having him on stage with them. Um, but he and his team have just basically decided that there is no point in him showing up when he is uh, that far ahead. At the same time, he's found ways to... Uh, 
you know, get a lot of attention uh, with the Tucker Carlson interview, uh, the last debate, um, and have kind of competing programming, um, and also kind of troll his um, his opponents as just sort of not being ready for the primetime stage. So we'll see what kind of tricks he has up his sleeve um, this time, but he always finds a way to draw the eyeballs to himself. That he does. Uh, we talked, Maeve, about Ron DeSantis, about Nikki Haley. I wanted to ask you about another candidate uh, who debated for the first time ever in any setting uh, the uh, last month, and that's Vivek Ramaswamy, this political newcomer. He got into a lot of kind of contentious exchanges with candidates last time around. Uh, what can we expect from him? Is he sort of a wild card going into this debate as well? Or how do you see that? I think that's a really good way to put it, <laughs> Sean. Um, a lot of people had fun watching him. There were, there were a lot of like hate watchers on Twitter, I think, um, because he gives off that, that sometimes gives off that kind of like tech bro vibe uh, on stage. And he went back and forth a lot of times with uh, Nikki Haley over issues like uh, foreign policy, for example. And she really got the better of him um, in a number of exchanges and, you know, tried to make his foreign policy views which are very much in line with where the GOP base is, uh, but not where she and a lot of traditional Republicans are on the issue of Ukraine, for example. She tried to make him sort of look naive, inexperienced, um, but he kind of gave it as good as he got. Um, he scored some points off of Chris Christie, um, who is another really aggressive player on the stage. And, and he's kind of got to show that he can level up. Um, I don't think he got a ton of traction in the polls after that last debate, even though he got a lot of attention out of it. But he has yet to uh, to lay out for people and particularly donors um, how he has a path forward when he is continually the person who's the strongest defender of Trump, who agrees with Trump on so many different issues. He hasn't been able to lay out how he would actually defeat Trump in the primaries. And I think in order for people to take him seriously, he's going to have to show that on the stage. Um, and so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how he does on Wednesday night. Yeah, and the last debate got a pretty big audience. I think it was something along the lines of nearly 13 million people tuning in. So there is an opportunity even for these lower tier candidates to, to make an impact. I wanted to return to Haley for a second. And you had that great story, Maeve, recently about how she has sort of tried to draw this contrast with Vice President Harris over and over on the trail. Do you think that's something we can expect to see and hear from her on Wednesday night when she debates? For sure. And what was so interesting about that last debate is that she really tried to show that she was she is someone who can appeal to a general election audience, whether it was by taking kind of a more moderate position on abortion or, you know, pointing to the fact that um, that she has actually looked like she might be a stronger opponent to Joe Biden in some of the polling. And um, what she's trying to do in this in this debate is sort of draw attention to this idea that she would be, bring generational change to the Republican Party. She's a woman of color. Um, she is someone who is much younger than, uh, than Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And so she has kind of used Vice President Harris as her foil this entire campaign 
arguing without any evidence uh, that Joe Biden may not make it for the full uh, the next five years and that voters would really be counting on a President Harris. And so she's tried to make it a clash uh, between her and Harris to sort of draw attention to all these other attributes. And, and it's also kind of a clever way to show that she's tough without actually attacking Donald Trump, um, although she's been doing that a little bit more. Um, but it's, it's sort of a nuanced way of showing that she's steely and that she's ready for the challenge of what the general election would look like. And we can certainly expect her to be drawing attention to this recent CNN poll showing um, that she was a few points above Joe Biden and looked more electable than these other candidates. So I think that's what we'll see from her on Wednesday night, Sean, and it should be a pretty interesting performance. Yeah. And real quick, Maeve, uh, I wanted to ask you about what the candidates are doing after the debate. It sounds like they're sticking around. There's some campaign activity. They're trying to raise money out there. Um, what can we expect after Wednesday night that is still going to be happening in California? Yeah, so the spotlight is really turning to the West Coast this week. Um, all of the candidates are using this opportunity um, around the debate to do tons of fundraising, just going all over the state, hitting up these huge donors who live in California. And that's in part because we're coming up to the end of the third quarter, and they all have to show big numbers to show that they would have the lasting power in this race. So they'll be uh, doing a lot of debate prep, but also a lot of fundraising out here to get ready, Sean. It'll be an interesting week out in California. Maeve Reston, thank you so much. We'll have to leave it right there, but a lot to so dig much, into Sean. in the coming weeks on all these fronts. I want to continue the conversation now with two more of our campaign reporters, Isaac Arnsdorf and Hannah Knowles, uh, who also have been covering the campaign pretty closely these last few months. Welcome to both of you. Hey, hey Sean. So Isaac, I want to start with you. Let's talk about Donald Trump. You've been covering him pretty closely uh, for a long time. He's not going to be at this debate. Can you talk a little bit about what he's going to be doing and what the campaign's thinking is about skipping the debate and about the counter-programming that they've uh, decided on for this specific one? So Trump is going to be Wednesday night in Michigan. He's going to be making a primetime speech at a manufacturing facility in the Detroit area. Uh, this is supposed to be in response to the uh, auto workers strike that's going on. Now, he's not actually uh, going to a, a union shop, um, and he it's not clear what position he is or isn't going to be taking on the strike itself. Um, but he's trying to position his side as uh, position himself as he has uh, since he came onto the political scene in the 2016 campaign as on the side of blue collar workers in manufacturing and, and trying to score an upset in traditionally democratic Midwestern states like Michigan, uh, which have drifted away from Republicans, uh, particularly in last year's midterms. And in terms of you know stomping on the debate, uh, you know the campaign is relishing the idea of drawing attention away from California, of uh, competing with the first debate even more dramatically, uh, competing with this debate even more dramatically than they did with the previous one. And uh, they were very pleased with how that went last time. Uh, they're hoping to do the same thing this time. And they're also not sorry to see, in addition to the split screen between Trump and the rest of the GOP field, they're also getting a split screen with Biden, who will be coming to Michigan, uh, also tied to the auto worker strike uh, on Tuesday, the day before. And Hannah, when we 
talk about Trump. It seemed like earlier this year there was a feeling amongst a lot of Republicans that Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, would be the best equipped candidate to take him on, could potentially be a really formidable candidate. Um, what do you make of the campaign that he's run so far? It seems like he's struggled in in a lot of ways. And, and what do you expect to hear or see from him uh, on Wednesday night with Trump not on the debate stage? Yeah, so I think the DeSantis theory of the case heading in was that there's there's simply like not enough voters in the party who have moved on from Trump to kind of gear your strategy around them. And they were like, OK, we're going to go after the Trump voters that we think are a little bit softer and we're going to be Trump, but not Trump, Trump 2.0. And that just hasn't panned out very well. And so you see those kind of more moderate voters um, gravitating to other people like Nikki Haley. And meanwhile, DeSantis really has appealed um, folks away from Trump. Um, so I think, you know, he really didn't take risks um, in the first debate. He just kind of laid out his own record and voters like that, but it didn't move the dial for him. And so I think this time, you know, there is a sense that he's in deepening trouble and, you know, he has to start attacking more forcefully probably and taking more risks to actually see something um, change in the race. Yeah, it does feel like he's in uh, a more uh, severe standing right now. Isaac, I wanted to return to uh, a smart point you made a moment ago about President Biden. We've seen a lot of polling over the last few weeks that shows his approval rating is pretty low, um, even among people in his own party. Uh, so when it comes to former President Trump and when it comes to a lot of these other candidates on the debate stage, how do they talk about Biden? What are you expecting to hear from Trump about Biden on Wednesday? And what, what should we expect more broadly from these candidates to say about President Biden at this moment in time? Well, from Trump and his supporters, uh, it's really gotten quite vicious. Um, and uh, there's a little bit of of sort of even disbelief that that Biden is really running. Um, sometimes they talk about that, uh, you know, Biden or whoever it's going to be as if as if Biden is not going to be the Democratic nominee. Um, some, especially Nikki Haley, sort of look past Biden talking about Kamala Harris um, as the real president, um, which is a reference to Biden's age, but also this kind of uh, suspicion about um, for uh, for suspicion that's been sowed by Republicans about uh, Biden's competence and mental acuity, uh, the the suggestion that there's someone else really kind of behind the scenes running things, and and I hear this from from Trump supporters all the time that uh, you know it's really Barack Obama or it's it's really someone else, and and Biden is just the the word that often comes up is puppet. Um, and the other thing that that's going on with Trump and Biden is. Um, uh, fanning the flames of the scandal surrounding his son Hunter um, and suspicions about uh, his foreign business dealings somehow involving or benefiting the father, uh, which there's not been any evidence producing uh, that's been produced of that. Uh, but Republicans in Congress are pushing ahead with a uh, impeachment inquiry uh, driving into that. And uh, Trump has been uh, very forceful in calling Biden corrupt and trying to make those allegations an issue, which he also did in, in 2020, uh, by the way. Uh, it, was a, it was a big part of how he attacked Biden in 2020, and it didn't really stick at that time. Um, but it seems to be having a, a little bit more staying power now. That's interesting. And another point of friction in this race, Hannah, has been abortion. We saw Trump make some comments uh, in recent days about abortion. He was critical of the six-week abortion ban that Governor DeSantis signed in Florida. 
How have we heard DeSantis and his allies and his campaign respond to that? And how does the issue of abortion sort of factor into this Republican primary right now? So the DeSantis camp is thrilled about um, Trump's latest comments on abortion, where he said that um, the six-week bans that have been signed in, in Florida and other states are, quote-unquote, terrible. And, and that is a law that's been passed in Iowa. Um, DeSantis is really all in on Iowa right now. It's the state where he has um, a bit more of a shot, although, you know, things aren't looking great for him anywhere. Um, but so they really feel like that and um, what Trump has done to alienate some Republicans in Iowa um, can work in their favor. Uh, talking to voters, I think uh, it, it's interesting, like evangelical voters are really important in Iowa and abor abortion is an important issue to them. But I think there is an understanding that, uh, you know, national legislation on this is not very feasible. And so they've sort of shifted their focus to um, state level issues and other kind of culture war things like um, how gender and race are talked about in classrooms and stuff. And so, you know, I'm not sure how much, um, you know, they're thinking about what a president um, can do on the federal level on abortion. Well, let me ask you about the flip side of that, Isaac. What is the Trump thinking on this? If you look at his career, even before he was in office, he's at least rhetorically sort of adopted shifting positions from somebody who, as a private citizen, was supportive of abortion rights to somebody who, as president, touted his Supreme Court uh, nominations that paved the way for ending Roe v. Wade. What is he doing right now? What do you make of this strategy on abortion? Yeah, Trump was not known for being a social conservative before he became a politician. And he uh, did a lot to secure that constituency of the religious right when he ran in 2016 uh, by being very explicit about appointing uh, Supreme Court justices who would overturn Roe v. Wade. And he delivered on that. And uh, he, that's the laurel that he's kind of resting on. But in terms of the pressure to go farther, uh, to have some kind of federal ban, um, he has avoided uh, taking the, the positions of Governor DeSantis or the other Republicans committing to a specific number of weeks or even a, a federal ban at all. And uh, part of that is he's he's openly said uh, that it's about uh, electoral math. Uh, it's about you know reading the poll numbers that uh, that those bans are not popular nationally, and that he is staking out a position that uh, is designed for a general electorate as opposed to a primary. And he's actually not getting that much backlash for it. I mean, he he got a little bit. Uh, of uh, pushback earlier in the cycle from uh, from Susan B. Anthony list, uh, but most recently when he criticized DeSantis's six-week ban, uh, they didn't hear anything from them. So uh, a lot of Christian conservatives are are still not deserting Trump for taking that position. That's interesting. And, and Hannah, you mentioned Iowa and the focus that the DeSantis campaign is placing on that. You two had an excellent story out of Iowa uh, last week, which I enjoyed a lot. And I encourage all of our viewers to go read uh, uh, at WashingtonPost.com. But you've spent a lot of time in the trail. Can you talk a little bit about what you hear from voters about DeSantis and, and what the vibe is at his events? Has he struggled at times to kind of break through in a personal way? How would you sort of assess what, what you've been seeing over the last few months? Yeah, well, I think um, my favorite part of my last trip to Iowa was going out to um, an evangelical church um, in the Des Moines 
area. And this is a place where um, Bob Vanderplatz, who's a really prominent voice in the primaries, he's a congregant there. And so he sometimes brings candidates to visit. Um, Ron DeSantis has visited, Vivek Ramaswamy visited on the day I was there. And you really saw, um, you know, it's not like these people were, um, you know, all in with DeSantis or Trump, as I think we thought, you know, early in the year, you'd see kind of a two-man race. I mean, it w really was um, all over the map in terms of where people's heads were. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. You had people who were interested in Haley, people who were interested in Vivek. Um, in terms of DeSantis's events on the ground, um, you know, he is really putting in the work. I mean, he's going to a lot of places. He's saying he wants to visit all 99 counties. Um, but he's struggled with this persistent criticism that he's just kind of stiff. And that's been around um, since he started in politics. Like people know him, say he's gotten better, but it's still just clear to a lot of people this is not like something that he enjoys really, like going out and, and shaking a million hands. And, and you saw that when I was there this um, last weekend too. Yeah, and what about the flip side of that? You saw Trump when he was in Iowa, Isaac. You've seen him a number of times. Uh, it seems like at times he's tried to do things a little bit differently than he has in the past. You know, it's not all big rallies. He's doing some of these kind of smaller scale stops. What's your sense been of what the Trump on the ground campaign presence has looked like, particularly in Iowa uh, so far this year? Well, yeah, I mean, they're not all mega rallies, you know, what we think about the kind of stereotype of, uh, you know, huge stadium, but um, they are still large, uh, uh, particularly compared to a lot of the other candidates. And and part of that is, you know, the, the security footprint of the former president. Um, and uh, but part of that is is the response that they get. Um, the campaign is now what they're focused on is uh, is targeting uh, people in their database who they want to make sure to turn out to caucus and uh, specially inviting them to events that are, you know, like a thousand, a thousand and a half. So not a mega rally, but, uh, you know, still still a good sized crowd um, and, you know, kind of you know, treating them to a to a a, a little bit more of a of a close up look uh, and an in person look at the former president, and then encouraging them to not just make sure that they're going to caucus, but they're going to bring friends with them to caucus. And so that's become kind of core to the to the Trump campaign's Iowa mobilization strategy. And the other thing that they're doing very effectively is uh, getting a lot of. Uh, a lot of eyeballs, a lot of media coverage. Um, when he was there last week, he was on the front page of the local papers and getting uh, local news airtime. Um, and, and they're doing that. Uh, they can do that with the traditional rallies. Um, they can also do that with these unplanned stops. Uh, he, he dropped in at a, at a restaurant last week, which when, when they do that, it's supposed to be for security reasons. Uh, it's supposed to be a secret, but clearly the word had gotten out and this restaurant was just packed to the rafters with cheering Trump supporters who were standing on tables and, and crawling over each other to try to get a picture of him. Yeah, and, and Hannah, does it feel like DeSantis is in some ways escalating, at least on some fronts, his attacks on Trump? We talked about the abortion issue. Seems like he's made some other comments uh, recently that were seemingly more forceful than they had been. What do you make of his strategy? And more broadly, can you talk about how he has navigated this situation where he's effectively trying to win voters who voted for Donald Trump in the past, who like him, um, without alienating those people? Uh, yeah, I do think he's kind of seized more opportunities over the past week to hit Trump 
directly and and by name and it really isn't often that i i don't think at all we've seen him before on like his main twitter account um kind of call out trump and criticize him on abortion or on spending and um, he would do it sort of more just implicitly or when it came up in interviews and so for him to kind of come out and proactively do that i think does signal a bit of a shift and again we're, we're going into a debate where he will have a, a chance to kind of approach things more differently and maybe go after trump i don't know we'll we'll see um, but I think that, uh, you know, overall, he's still kind of defending Trump on most issues, still trying to take up that lane of Trump 2.0 along with um, Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, and on that front of defending Trump, we've seen not just DeSantis, but a lot of the candidates when it comes to the legal issues that Trump has uh, defending him, portraying him as uh, the victim of, you know, some unjust uh, political uh, you know, assault on him. And, and Isaac, I wanted to hear from you about sort of how the Trump campaign thinks about navigating these charges, the potential for, a, you know, busy trial season next year for him, both politically in the campaign uh, and just, you know, from a practical perspective, how he uh, sort of, you know, balances potentially needing to be in court with running for president. Well, the campaign is the criminal defense and vice versa. I mean, you know, the, the text of a campaign speech and a filing from his uh, legal team are somewhat interchangeable when you actually look at them and they're all about how this is a political illegitimate prosecution. Um, and that's the case that he's making in both venues. And when they're looking at, at trying to dominate the media coverage, um, that works whether it's uh, whether he's sitting in a courtroom or sitting at a podium or, or trying to do both at the same time. Uh, and so, you know, I, they're not really looking at that as a, as a conflict, but as a as a leverage point. Yeah. And kind on DeSantis, you know, we've seen in the past campaigns that launched to great promise. Uh, I'm thinking of Jeb Bush. I'm thinking of Scott Walker that either fizzle out early or don't live up to the expectations that existed at the start of that campaign. How much concern do you sense in and around DeSantis's campaign that, you know, this could potentially be the next iteration of that uh, Jeb Bush, Scott Walker style uh, fizzling that we've seen in the past? I think there's a lot of concern. Um, there's sort of been, uh, before there were a lot of opportunities to say, you know, okay, yes, we're still way behind Trump, but we just launched officially and maybe that'll kind of turn the tide. And then it it didn't. And then it was, uh, you know, once we have a debate, that's when we'll really be able to start moving the dial. And then he had a debate that was, you know, fairly well received according to our own polling, but it still, you know, doesn't translate to, um, it certainly didn't help DeSantis in the polling and he's actually fallen further since then. So yeah, no, I think there's a real sense that, um, you know, there's limited time left. He needs to do something differently. Gotcha. And Isaac, I'll give you the, the last word here. I mean, when we look forward to, you know, the rest of this debate season, uh, it seems like we're going to probably have a debate every month if, you know, the trends follow what, what has happened in the past. Is Trump just going to continue to sit these debates out? Are they going to continue to try to find ways to counter-program what is actually happening at the debate? Or is there any real possibility or discussion even in the campaign that at some point he might want to join one of these debates? The position is no debates. He said no debates. They're happy with how no debates is going. Uh, and yeah, no debates. <laughs> um, and and uh, Hannah, just real quick, I'm back on the DeSantis thing. I mean, 
we've talked about how he has in some ways sort of escalated his rhetoric, at least against Trump. But we also hear from the campaign about how he's trying to introduce himself, about how he wants to sort of, you know, tell the story of Ron DeSantis as somebody who served in the military, uh, as somebody who has, you know, a record as governor that a lot of conservatives like. As you look to Wednesday's debate, I mean, which are we going to see? Are we going to see a combination of both? Somebody who's going to sort of be going on the attack or somebody who's going to be focused on kind of introducing himself, telling his own story? I truly do not know. Um, I wish I'd, oh yeah, I think we just have to wait and see or I have to do some more reporting there. Um, what was kind of interesting is we saw the the super PAC supporting DeSantis, which has played a really outsized role in his campaign. Um, they released uh, an ad just the other week that was, um, you know, saying, you know, one man, Ron DeSantis, has done all these great things, one man hasn't. And the implication was that, you know, it was Trump, but but they didn't actually say Trump's name and they didn't have Trump's image. And so you saw some of the reaction from Republican observers of all of this was, you know what, we're kind of past the point of like subtle contrast with Trump and that's only gotten you so far and you need to start coming at him directly and just some, some kind of confusion about that middle ground they were taking there. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's still something that he and his allies are figuring out. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch and no doubt a lot to watch on the campaign trail this week. Isaac Arnsdorf, Hannah Knowles, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but looking forward to continuing this discussion as the campaign season goes on. Thanks, Sean. Great, thanks. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.